Hello, I'm Brittany Wilson. I'm Nia Wasink, and you're listening to The, the Nonprofit, Nonprofit Reframe. Together, Nia and I have over 30 years of nonprofit experience. We've worked the program side, the business side, and everything in between. We are reframing the nonprofit experience by challenging the status quo because we know that nonprofits and their staff are undervalued, under resourced, and unrelenting. Welcome back to the Nonprofit Reframe. Happy Monday, everybody. It is Monday, October 5. We will be releasing this on Monday the 12th, um, which, funny enough, actually, this weekend, somebody said, you know, you all are the only ones who, like, give that timestamp. And I was uh-huh. like, yeah, well, it's super gosh darn important right now. And then I was watching- Gosh darn it. Gosh darn it. <laughs> Man, the, your Midwest just really came out there. <laughs> Gosh darn it all, guys. Um, But then John Oliver did the same thing this weekend, and he kept saying over and over, we're recording this on Saturday. No idea what's going to happen in the 24 hours till we release this. Well, that's because he got it from us. He's been listening to our podcast. Clearly. (laughs) The world is just moving too fast and at the same time too slow right now. We have to timestamp it. So it is October 5th, noonish that we're recording this. Which we didn't start doing that until the pandemic. Yeah. And it was for exact those that exact reason that everything was changing so fast that we wanted to make sure that people knew what mindset we were in on any given week because maybe by the time it launched, it would be sort of old news. You mean like how the episode we released today didn't even mention the fact that our president is currently hospitalized with COVID? That's, yep, that's an example right there. (laughs) But we should also let people know that October 5th marks week one of our four-week Halloween costume challenge. Which is, I have to say, very weird right now that we're recording in costume. Uh, If you would like to see said costumes, head over to our social media because we've got them up for voting uh, we'll leave them up one week out. So this is your last day, actually, to vote on last week's costume. So head over to Facebook and Instagram right now and let us know what you think. So I, you posted last week, I think it was the Throwback Thursday photo montage of us sharing a microphone, <laughs> yeah. which, you know, still stands as one of the most awkward recording sessions we've ever had, mm-hmm. but this rivals it because staring at each other in costume. <laughs> I can't even take myself seriously. <laughs> I know. It's so funny. So are we going to announce what we are right now or no? We're not even going to tell people they got to no, go see it. No, they have to go. They have to follow us on socials. Yeah. Okay. Ooh, I like it. Mm. Hardlined. <laughs> <coughs> Excuse me, leaving a, yeah, leaving little breadcrumbs back to our social media pages, Hit those like buttons, because like I said, we're going to be doing this all through October. I have already purchased my next two costumes. I'm sure you have not. If we put a poll up, like if we were in a Zoom and we put a poll up to everybody that was listening and we said, guess who already has all their costumes picked out? And Nia or Brittany, 100% would pick you. And nobody would pick me. <laughs> I seriously threw this together. 
minutes before we got on. It like happened throughout the day. There was something else Amazing. completely that I was going to do, which I'm not going to talk about because I'll probably do it next week. And then I saw different parts of this <clears throat> laying around my house because we just um, decorated everything inside of our house. And so the girls have been pulling out everything, like all the different bags of costumes are ripped apart and in 20 different places around the house. And so that's how this came to be. Awesome. <laughs> I know. I know. Amazing. So I don't really have anything planned specifically, but I do have some ideas. Well, folks, you heard it here first. Better follow the nonprofit reframe on social media so you can see whatever Brittany pulls out of her ass <laughs> next Monday. So true. All right. Well, how have you been? Doing all right. You know, we're into October and actually we will be releasing this October 12th, which is Indigenous Peoples Day. Oh, we should absolutely recognize that. Yeah. Um, did you know that Columbus Day is no longer a day in Colorado? That's official? I did know that. It has not been replaced with Indigenous Peoples Day. Uh, it's... Uh, oh, I didn't know that. I just assumed. Francis Xavier Cabrini Day. Oh, that's that shrine down in yeah. Denver? Yeah. Huh. Didn't um, know that. I think... Oh, I'm going to get this wrong probably. I believe Cabrini is a saint for immigrants um, and specifically has some tie into the Italian community. Um, so after years and years and years of trying, the legislature couldn't get it changed to Indigenous Peoples Day, but at least they could get it Columbus Day removed, Cabrini Day put in place. But then we've got some municipalities like City of Boulder who have actually recognized it as Indigenous Peoples Day as they rightfully should. That's so sad that they couldn't pass it as Indigenous People Day. Right? I don't know. Hopefully that changes or evolves. But like you said, I mean, at least they found kind of a workaround of sorts. I, I mean, like, I'm all for women's empowerment and, like, more days named for them. But come on now. Yeah. But there are lots of awesome activities happening all weekend. Um, I'm going to try to zoom into a couple of them, some important conversations that the City of Boulder is hosting and um, really tying into the um, the Arapaho Nation, which we continue to have strong ties to because we are on their indigenous land, um, along with a number of other tribes. But. Yeah, you know, at my work, we have started doing that at all of our events is oh, giving yeah. at the very beginning honoring the land mm -hmm. that we're on and have taken and yeah. paying homage before launching into whatever event we're having and hosting mm -hmm. yeah um speaking of indigenous peoples though that made me think of what we're going to talk about today but this is like a sidestep to get to today's topic um i continue to get Tons and tons of mailings from the St. Joseph's Indian School. Oh, you're calling them out. I'm calling them out. And you know we don't often name nonprofits by name. We really Except don't. for Charity Water, you asshole. <laughs> um, <laughs> but this one I'm going to call out by name. Yeah, there's been a handful. There's been a handful. But you've been fired up about I this I really one. have. And I got another package from them. And so I am super fired up right now. Well, why don't you give our listeners just a little bit, a brief background on who they are? I feel like I need to stretch before I get into this. 
Okay, so first off. Because just by name, I'm like, Indian school. Oh, okay. Well, just by name, what we should be thinking is, oh, wait, isn't that where we, like, forced Native children into schools to try to assimilate them? Oh, that Mm -hmm. wasn't a great look. So it is one of those schools. I mean, apparently they have been reformed. And now they just, you know, provide this provide this great educational institution for um, for children of oh now and I can't remember which which um, tribe they're affiliate they're affiliated with, but um, yeah. So I mean, that history in and of itself is pretty bad. But then, so they do these massive, massive direct mail appeals. Um, and I, so really this is what get your goat though, yeah. is what you're about to talk about. Yes. I mean, yes to all the things that you've said so far, but it's really like this fundraising practice. Right. The things that I've said so far are the reasons I won't give them money. Their fundraising practices exactly. is why I'm going to call them out publicly. So <laughs> they do these massive direct mails. I have no idea what list they bought that had my name on it, but I've gotten at least three packages from them and they are truly packages. It's not just a letter with a remit envelope. It is a package. And you've never given them a cent. Never given them a cent. Never will give them a cent. Are they in Colorado? No, I want to say Montana, North Dakota. Wow, so not even in the same state. But these packages have all of the little swag pieces. So the most recent one I got, it included, I'm not even joking, a reusable bag, a dream catcher, two pens, and a stack of holiday cards that I could use and send out to people. What? I have, again, I've never donated to them. And then on top of that, all of the materials, it is so poverty porn. It is like the worst level where it's just like, oh, these poor Indian kids. And it calls them Indian kids, which I also fucking hate. <sighs> you know, their their parents were alcoholics and they grew up poor with no, no shoes. I'm not even kidding you. But then the St. Joseph School came and, and saved them. And now look at this smile on this girl's face. It is the worst level of fundraising I think I've seen That's in person. horrible. Yeah. Like I hear stories about this stuff from like the ye old days of fundraising. But yeah. this was sent to me last month. Yeah, that's just so fucking expensive. How much do you think it costs just for one of those packages? You know what? I could look it up. I'm going to look it up and find out because they have to put their direct mail expenses on their um, their 990 because I 990 because I know they outsource it, but they raise a shit ton of money. So um, I found an an article from CNN uh, detailing all of this, and they actually also called out the poverty porn, which I was like, good on CNN for doing that. But they're raising like 50 million dollars off of it. CNN wrote about this school? Specifically their direct mail fundraising. Yes. So this is such a great way to tie into what we're really going to talk about today. Um, Because, you know, we talk so um, passionately on this podcast about how fundraising needs to change. And this is a great example, though, of, but it works. But it fucking works. And that's where we're going to keep coming back to of, but it works. So what is the incentive for people to change it? Exactly. 
Except for that it's the right thing to do. Right. <laughs> we all know that money wins over everything in our society. So Yeah. Well, and, and that's always the thing I'm bumping up against is when I'm proposing alternatives to traditional like major donor systems. They always say, well, what data do you have that shows this new way is going to work? And I'm like, well, I don't yet. It's still so right. new. You know, I don't have 30 years of fundraising data that says this is how you do this. But it's the right thing to do. And if we do it right, I do think it will bring about the results. But yeah, I mean, there, there's this piece of trust. And it, for a sector that is so worried about scarcity, especially right now, making a change seems so fucking scary. They make $50 million off of that? Yeah. They sent out 30 million pieces per the CNN article. What? Mm-hmm. Holy shit. <clears throat> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a quick... I'm going to admit something. Okay. I do like getting the animal calendars, though. (laughs) I'm sorry. I do. I do. And I use them and I put them up. And I need to be a better person. This is a call to me as well. I need to be a better person that if I'm going to use their calendar and I'm going to put it up, I need to be giving them money. I'm actually going to get you off the hook here. Because do you? (gasps) Like, oh, because I'm reinforcing it. I hate that kind of fundraising. We're going to coerce you into giving because we've given you something. And so you're going to feel obligated to give back to us. It's so true. It's so true. Because I will use those address labels. Oh, I've got a whole bunch in here right now. And not necessarily from organizations I even like or support. But well, that's what I'm saying. And I don't give to them. No. I've gotten those. I've gotten those po- or those uh, greeting cards, too. I'll use those. Um, I've never received all of everything that you just said in one package though. Yeah. I mean, this, this was a whole nother level. There was one organization. I, again, I don't know what list I'm on because my direct mail has gone up exponentially in the last couple of years, but I got one this summer. It was a like foot and a half long American flag, like actual fabric American flag. What? But the crazy thing was, was that they didn't want me to keep the flag. They wanted me to like write my name on it and send it back in so that it would go on to a veteran's family. What? Yeah. I I can't remember what organization it was. Otherwise I'd probably call out their bullshit too. But they, I I thought it was actually a pretty interesting ploy to be like, we want to engage you in this activity and you can send it back. You don't have to send any money. Just send this back with your name on it so that a veteran's and their family can have this. I didn't do it. What's a veteran's family going to do with an American flag that says Nia Wasink on it? I have no fucking idea. I mean, what what do you do with that size flag anyways? Is it on a stick in your front yard? Yeah, or... I think it's like one of those little steak kind. Yeah. That's weird. <laughs> yeah. I'm not into it. Not a fan. I'm not into it. it. It's just such a waste of money. And I find it so fascinating, too, because, I mean, I've been on the side where we have put out a mailing and just the quality of the paper looked too nice. And we had donors calling us up saying, how dare you use our dollars and the money that we've given you to use this type of paper and ink to send out an appeal letter. Yeah. You know, the ones that really, really bother me are like the environmental conservation organizations that send out 
direct mail like that. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, so you recognize that the majority of people getting this are throwing it away. You are adding trash to the landfills through your direct mail appeal. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, that seems to be a running theme, too, that we talk about is are things being, um, like, are you filtering it through the values of your organization? Right. Right. You know, if it's not in line, if your fundraising practices are not in line with the values of your organization, then you shouldn't be doing them. Exactly. Except sometimes they work. Well, I think like that whole ends justify the means thing really ties into today's topic. Brittany, what are we talking about? Yes. We are talking about the podcast, another podcast, Nice White Parents. So if you haven't listened, highly recommend you go and take a listen. What is it? Like six episodes, I think. Yeah, I think so. Really beautifully produced. Way better than ours. So, you know, a little easier on your it's ears. A, yeah, it's a serial podcast. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, theirs are always like top, top notch. Yeah. I, I was listening this morning just to refresh myself and listening to their list of all of the people who are involved, like our finance <laughs> director and our, this production. And I was like, oh, that sounds so nice. <laughs> I'm going to add in credits at the end of ours. Social media management by Nia. Production. I know they'll all say your name. (laughs) We can say website management by Patty. (laughs) There we go. There we go. Anyway, I know. So it's it's a really interesting podcast. There have been some critiques of it, rightfully so, but I think it's still it presents a really interesting topic for discussion and debate. We are specifically going to be talking primarily about the content in the very first episode, where you. um, they give you this intro um, to the situation. So it's in New York City, public schools. Brooklyn. Brooklyn specifically, yeah. Which has a very interesting, highly competitive way about uh, doing school choice. Brittany, when you were a kid, did you even like have options? No. I mean, no. that's what I find so fascinating. Um, but even out here, I mean, now that I have kids, uh, just to be able to open and roll – I don't remember that even having that as a kid. We just went to our neighborhood neighborhood school. There were Catholic schools, and so I had some friends that went there, and there may have been a private school or two. I didn't know the kids that went there, but mostly it was just you you went wherever your neighborhood school was. Oh, absolutely. And you just matriculated through. Right. right? Like these five elementary schools go to this middle school, and then that goes to this high school. There None of this is part of my experience. So that part I found really fascinating where like kids are having to come up with letters from their youth group leaders to get into the middle school they want. Yeah. But anyway, like the whole premise is essentially in this school district, bunch of middle schools, but three of them primarily are all white. And those schools are full. Like there just aren't enough slots. They're considered the elite schools, and yeah. that's what all the white parents are trying to send their white kids to. And, um, you know, it's like from the beginning, they're like you're saying, trying to set up their qualifications and application process to be able to get their kids in. 
So these parents realize there's no way they're getting all their kids into the school that they want. Uh, you know, the, the closest one of the big three, as they call it, um, to all of them. And so they reach out to their neighborhood school and ask, would you be willing to add this dual, langu- dual language French program? Because if so, we would love to enroll a bunch of our kids. And so it's really about this one parent who takes the lead on it, who happens to be a professional fundraiser for a is. big nonprofit. So, yeah. And I don't, and they don't say who the nonprofit is. Maybe you've done no. that. I don't know who it is, but. Have I looked but, this person up on LinkedIn? Yes, I have. Am yeah. I going to lay their career bare? No. <laughs> No, but my point is I even without knowing where he was working just from the way he talks and how um the connections that he has if it's a bigger organization than I've ever worked for. Yeah. So basically the principal is like, gosh, I need students. Our enrollment's declining. Yeah. Let let's bring in a dual French program and brings in all these new white kids and Truthfully, like the difference in the um, the diversity of the student body is so stark that even students realize, like this was the year that all the white kids started coming. Well, the well, the new go ahead. Well, I was just going to say because I listened to it again today too, just so I had some had it fresh, and they were saying that the incoming is a middle school, so the incoming sixth grade class in 2013 had 36 students. Enrollment had dropped dramatically and they were losing funding because of it and so it was a title one school i believe and then with the help of this one parent the proposition of doing this french immersion program and then thereby recruiting all these other families the 2015 class was over a hundred so they grew the incoming sixth grade class by over 200 percent yeah substantial substantial and so here's where we get into the fun fundraising discussion so this parent in particular but then with a bunch of other white parents is like you know what we're going to make sure that we help fundraise for this new program you're bringing in and they initially start doing it through the pta and ooh, i got a lot to say about pta fundraising (laughs) which is really funny because i have no children and i've never been involved with pta (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So essentially they start fundraising, but don't actually coordinate with the PTA. And the PTA is like, oh, great. You're raising all this money. So can we use it to do X, Y, and Z that has already been identified as priorities that teachers have already come forward with? You know, we need new chalkboards. We need new uniforms for gym. And the parents are like, oh, no. Yeah, like this really needs to be for the French program. And so it sets up this dynamic That's just going to, there's going to be conflict, but it also sets up a really interesting power dynamic. Absolutely. I mean, just the fact that he can come in and say, well, look, we really, we're a bunch of families and we really want this program for our kids. And how about we add that program to your curriculum, but don't worry, we'll raise the money for it. Which, I mean, I, I, I feel for the principal who is in a situation of wanting to increase attendance at their school, wanting to bring in more money 
through this increased attendance into the school and saying, well, I mean, I guess, yeah, sure, that's a, you know, a prestigious program. And if it's not going to, quote unquote, cost us anything, but it's, it's these white parents coming in and like pushing on this school something that they didn't necessarily need. And that, what you just said, Nia, was such a um, oh, like cringy moment where here there's a, an established PTA that has been doing their bake sales and their, you know, f- their fundraisers just to get supplies, like yeah. basic need supplies for the school. And then in comes this new crop of parents who says, we'll raise $50,000, no problem. But oh, wait, none of that money is going to what you're raising money for. This right. is something completely separate. Yeah, well, and this is the interesting PTA fundraising dynamic. Um, I'm going to have to find the podcast where they did a deep dive on this. But um, it, you know, I think it what we see play out is that even within the same school district, you're going to have wealth inequities at the school funding level because of PTAs. Absolutely. You know, the school that has the majority of the wealthy families in it, that PTA is going to be able to raise a lot more money versus like the Title I schools where you've got a lot more low-income families. Um, And so some school districts have actually dealt with this by saying, we are going to do a district-wide PTA pot. So yeah, you've told me about that. I think that's fantastic. Yeah, and then they distribute it. Well, parents get really pissed because they're like, "Of course, I'm fundraising for my kids at my school, and yet the money's going over here." But th- this, this is this is the issue, right? Yeah. This is why we have inequities. Um, and later in the series, we do find out that a report was released that said that this district in New York City schools is the most segregated school district in the country. So, you know, what's happening at this school is really just indicative of this much larger problem across the district. So anyway, you you start to hear some of these like tremors of discontent and power dynamics that are playing out. And then it explodes. And for me, it's these two big things. First off, the white parents say, well, why don't we just create our own private foundation so we don't have to go through the PTA? Right. Oh, I, I'm like so angry. I don't even know how to put it into words. Just right for this one specific program. Right. So they want to create their own 501c3 private foundation so that they can fundraise through it. And the professional fundraiser basically says, well, you know, it allows our donors to restrict their funds better. Ah. <laughs> I mean, and he, he literally says like, well, if if a donor says that they want to give this money for this thing and we bring it to the PTA and the PTA says, we don't want to spend it on that. Gosh, we've lost donor intent. So with a foundation, we could protect it. Okay. That that's not a function of actually having a foundation, right? Like that's a function of you all having control. That's a, yep. That is a control issue right there. Yeah. So that's the one thing. And then it's the event. Oh, the event. Again, here's why we're bringing it out in the podcast, because I think that this is so indicative of the struggles we're having in fundraising more broadly. So it starts out, okay, we're going to have an event to fundraise broadly for the school. And it's going to be free, open to everybody, community-based. We want everybody to feel like they're part of it. 
Well, it escalates to where the French fucking embassy is involved. They can't even do it in Brooklyn. It has to be done on the Upper East Side. It is ticketed. There's an expensive auction, silent auction, raffle, whole fucking nine. Right, where the PTA says, look, if this is truly an event to raise funds for our school, our entire community should be able to come. Yeah. So, you know, A, maybe make it in our neighborhood so people aren't having to travel 45 minutes across town into Manhattan to to attend. B, get rid of this entrance, this ridiculous entrance fee <clears throat> for the families, excuse me, for the fam- so families can afford to attend. And they initially say, well, we'll, we'll set it up so that <clears throat> families here have a special rate or something like that. But then at the end of the day, because it's at an embassy and they have all of these um, security measures that they have to take at an embassy, they say, well, no, it needs to be ticketed. People need to be on a list. They need to show up. I mean, it it just, ah, again, it was so cringy, you know, and and really magnifying the inequities between those who are coming in and have all these connections to raise this money and then those who have actually been attending the school for years and years and years. Yeah. I think it was the PTA president who said, gosh, I didn't know I needed saving. Right. Like as all of these white oh, parents are coming in and being like, well, I just look got at this goosebumps. great thing that we're doing, right? Like that that's the problem. It's always positioned as, well, wouldn't it be better if you had more money? That's all we're doing is we're helping. And it's like, are you actually like there's right. also like the racial issue um, amongst it. Yeah, you know, they talk about it a little bit um in this first episode too, where there's actually a pretty large population of bilingual students at the school but they speak Arabic or Spanish or some other language. Well, now French has been lifted up as the second language to have. And so all of these other students who are actually already bilingual, they become lower class within the school structure. Well, oh gosh, the, they're at the gala, they're at the fundraiser at the embassy and the PTA president who is bilingual, she's Puerto Rican, is there working the event and a donor who really knows nothing about the school. She just thought it would be a fun evening and was invited by her French professor. And so she came, comes up to her and has an entire conversation about how important it is to be teaching second languages to youth because it really opens doors for them and they can have a more worldly worldview, completely ignorant to the fact that the person that she's talking to is already at least bilingual Mm -hmm. and that a lot of the kids there are already just not French. Right. So I think, again, this kind of sets up in a microcosm the issues with fundraising. And it's such a unique look because so often, like, these structures are in place. And so we don't take time to evaluate all of these issues. But this is a great call out to all the nonprofits out there, all the fundraisers out there, to look at this shit. Right? Like, what kind of power dynamics is, is your fundraising in and of itself creating? 
the way you are engaging with donors, the way you're allowing them to engage with the organization, how does that allow some to have power and others not to? Well, and it's that whole shift from donor-centric fundraising to community-centered fundraising. And I mean, how many times have we been in a situation where there will be a donor who can give a really large gift and then either through the restriction of it or, well, I mean, it's usually through the restriction of it, but, you know, it might not even, what am I trying to say? That through the restriction of it, they are really hurting, maybe not, yes, the community, but even the organization. I don't Mm -hmm. know. First, I'm thinking of capital which we're going to be talking about next week. So it's a great little plug for that. But capital fundraising, and when you get people who want to make a big capital gift, but that they want it used for one specific part of the building that really doesn't need to be built out like that. Yeah. Or I don't know. It's just a power. It's like, it's a power that they then can yield. Totally. Well, and I mean, it's the continued call, I think, on all of us to like recognize our power and privilege, whether it is whiteness or or some other power and privilege we have walking into these situations. I mean, I can think of times where I have not been fully cognizant and I've probably thought, oh, this is such a great thing I'm offering to them, right? Like this is such a great service I can provide without recognizing, like taking that step back to say, what's already in place? What do they... What are they saying they actually need help with? Where are they going that I can plug into? I mean, clearly these white parents in this show came in like steamrollers. This is what's best for the school. This is what we need. And here's how we're going to do it. And that was probably the the piece that actually caused the greatest fissure within the PTA. Like if they had actually sat down and have a conversation, it could have gone differently. And I don't think it actually would have been so obvious that there were issues. Um, right. Like more, most commonly it, it's much more below the surface of where these fundraising dynamics come into play. This one just kind of exposed it all, which was great for the podcast. <laughs> right. Well, and making the assumption that this is what's best for your kids too, that this is going right. to benefit your kids too. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what, you know, this, this assumption of, we know what's best. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so then going there was- up to donors with that. And so therefore telling the community that that's what's needed. Well, um, I thought it was so poignant that part where she's talking to one of the new kids. So one of the kids that has come in for this French immersion program. And he makes a comment about the book of statuses. Oh, yeah. For schools. I mean, but how like... I mean, he's sixth grade. He's not like a baby, but I just think like out of the mouths of babes, right? Like he says, oh, but now since we're here, this school wasn't even in the book of statuses and now it's number one. And and he even talks about like how the student behavior has changed because of all the new students. Now kids are paying attention in class because we're here. Like you don't think that's fucking taught by the parents? Well, absolutely. And there's no such thing as a book of statuses. Like it's just the book that lists the rankings of all the schools. But the fact that he called it a book of statuses is so telling right there. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. I don't know. You're, you're, 
call to action and awareness is right on Nia. I mean, we just need to be more aware of where we're using privilege and power in places that, well, just period. <laughs> I mean, yeah. where we're using privilege and power, period. Yeah, yeah. I, that's totally right. Well, it was interesting too. I, for those who are thinking that this is an interesting topic, I really do recommend listening to the whole thing because we find out in later episodes that this dynamic has occurred multiple times in the district's history where white parents went so far as to even create and build an entirely new school. Um, and since this initial recording, there have been some big changes as they are trying to deal with their um, school segregation issue. Um, and they have a long way to go. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, if you listen to the podcast and you have any comments or anything that you want to add, we would love to hear from you. Yes, please. Email us, nonprofitreframe at gmail.com. Like we've said now 13 times on this episode, make sure you follow us on Facebook and Instagram where you'll be able to also vote on our costume contest. Because don't forget, while we have been here for 38 minutes chatting about this, um, we are still in costume. We are, and it is <laughs> dripping down my face. <laughs> so we would love to hear from you. And of course, as always, if you're in a place right now where you have capacity, this is a time to really step up and support your local nonprofits by giving and giving generously. Thanks, everybody. We would like to thank our sponsors. Mission Launch is a Colorado-based nonprofit consulting firm focusing on fundraising and board governance. You can learn more at missionlaunchco.com and Jake Walker Music, who provides our theme music. You can find him at jakewalkermusic.org. Thank you so much.